Shamai Akroiso. Hello and welcome to the New York Welsh podcast, the podcast that celebrates Welsh success stories in New York while inspiring the creation of some new ones. Uh, I'm Gideon. And I am Richard. Today we sat down with Lucy Jones. Lucy is a fashion designer and entrepreneur whose business uh, is set to launch later this year. Uh, she came up with a pretty innovative idea of catering uh, a fashion label to seated people, people in wheelchairs, which garnered national attention, um, culminating in her being featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 and even in being invited to the White House. Now, her, her business, her fashion line, it was born out of a project she did at Parsons, the world-renowned design school, where she studied, uh, I think it was a final major project for her, and it actually springboarded her right into this career she's got now. Yes, uh, it's a very uh, inspiring conversation. It's one I enjoyed tremendously, um, and I'm sure hopefully you'll all enjoy too. So without further ado, here's Lucy Jones. Oh, Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So before we came on, you were just telling us a little bit about uh, obviously some of the stuff you've been working on of late. Um, maybe you can let our listeners know you know some of those are. Yeah, definitely. So um, right now we're at my studio in Bushwick, which is actually more East Williamsburg in Brooklyn. Um, and this is where I am every single day uh, working with my uh, team. And we're working on products and accessories, mostly for the mobility device market. Um, and that's what we're doing every single day, um, hoping to launch later this year, right before the holidays. Exciting. Uh-huh. And that feels like um, you just, you know, I, f- I, I feel how you describe it. And from the fact that we're here on a, on a Sunday, that that is not a nine to five job or even a Monday to Friday job by any means. It's definitely not. It's uh, every single hour of the day, minus a few hours when I have some sleep. But it's definitely a labor of love. I'm here all the time and or I'm at meetings in Manhattan all the time. But um, I wouldn't change it for the world. I feel very grateful for the position that I'm in. Definitely. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, well, thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us. I know we've been, I've been personally pretty excited. Um, I want to take you back to the beginning a little bit. So where in Wales are you from originally? Where did, where did you grow up? Yeah, so I've only lived in one house for my entire life, um, and that is in Cardiff. Um, I went to Danes Court Primary, and then I went to Radha Comprehensive School. Um, but my whole family's from Llanelli. <laughs> so me and my sister, I have one sister, and we both have completely different accents to the rest of my family um, since they're all Carmarthen. Um, and so we're, they joke that we're the intruders of the family quite often. But yeah, I lived in Cardiff my whole life. I went to, did an art foundation after I left Radacomp, um, sixth form. Uh, I went and did an art foundation and it was called, it's now the University of South Wales, but back then it was Glamorgan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it, just Glamorgan. <laughs> um, I went there for a year, met my boyfriend there who now lives with me here in uh, New York. And then I came to New York to study fashion design at Parsons School in Manhattan. Very cool. And what uh, was New York something that you always been on your radar or when did that first kind of come into your kind of idea yeah never never ever been on my radar I wanted to go to Japan or Italy or France I knew I wasn't going to stay in the UK though Um, and I remember I was applying for universities Uh, actually this is a story I never tell but I was uh, applying for universities the top you know London universities for fashion design and I was getting rejected 
um, which is a really interesting story that pains me to, to talk about. I remember almost giving up and uh, I got rejected from two major universities, my first choice. And as a backup plan, my plan B, I applied to Parsons, which is the world's best fashion design wow. school. Who, let, come on, let's shame them. Who were the two that... Uh, oh my God. Down? Name and shame. It was Central St. Martin's. London College of Fashion, which is funny because I've done some things of London College of Fashion recently. Um, and actually it was those two. And I got accepted into Kingston, which was actually one of my main choices. Um, but the same day I got accepted into Parsons. So when I went to my Kingston interview, I was just like, oh, I've been accepted uh, into Parsons. <laughs> Parsons was almost like a backup plan. It was my backup it was plan. insurance. It was. It was my backup plan. And... Um, I don't think my parents believed me when I said I was applying for New York because I've never spoken of New York before. I've never even been to New York. And um, when I got accepted, I remember being so excited and I remember my parents panicking because they didn't know how we were going to afford it. But my whole family was just like, we're going to have to rally around and make this happen and so I'm you know really grateful to even be in New York but um it was there was a no there was no doubt that I would be coming here so we all made it happen yeah that's lovely yeah and those who for those people at home who don't know Parsons as as you mentioned Lucy is obviously a world-renowned design school has educated some of the most you know respected fashion designers on the planet (laughs) likes of Marc Jacobs Tom Ford and beyond that other designers Joel Schumacher the director he went there Donna yeah. Karen. Donna Karen. For me personally, Paul Rand is like oh, one wow. of my I didn't know uh, yeah, icons. And Bradley heroes. Cooper, apparently, Serious? was at the new school. Yeah, so the really? new... So Parsons School of Design is part of the new school. It's really multidisciplined school. So there's the jazz school. It's honestly, that was the best part of studying in the States was... I wasn't just doing fashion design, but there was a lot of like liberal classes as well. Um, I got to study film and media. Mm. Um, (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm sitting with people who really know film and media. Um, And then, um, of course, fashion design as well. Yeah. But it wasn't fashion that you ended up following. Your your projects led you a different way. So, I mean, to me, it all goes back to fashion. I just think I've got a broader understanding of what I think fashion design means now. Um, I think we are, um, I mean, everyone knows fashion design because everyone chooses what they wear every single day. Even if you say you're not involved in fashion, you've subconsciously chosen what you're wearing. So I think when you flip it to that meaning, um, what I love so much about fashion is everyone can be a part of it. So when you start thinking of it in that way, one thing that I was doing at school was, you know, designing for these bodies for the runway and me feeling not at all attached to that because I realized that wasn't my upbringing. I'm almost designing in this world that I don't, I'm not even part of. Why was I pretending to be like so drawn to that when that's not who I am? I've just like, you know, um, so actually it was a family member, my younger family member Jake um at the time I remember I was talking to him he lived in Dubai and I was on the phone to him and I remember he was you know talking about his bad time at school that day and um Jake has cerebral palsy so sometimes he feels like he's independent sometimes less independent and clothing is a contributing factor to some of his independence and that's when I was in class thinking 
oh wow, fashion design can really solve problems too for people who can't dress independently. And whilst they may not be able to dress independently, it can also offer some like more dignity in dress. So um, from then on, I vowed to look at uh, people with disabilities and involve myself with people who have disabilities and really you know, understand people's needs and desires and integrate it into my design. And so it's been that way every single, you know, sorry, ever since. So for those who are listening, but might have uh, trouble visualizing what we're talking about, can you explain um, how it is that the clothes you designed uh, do need to be different for seated bodies? Yeah. Um, So actually, I started you know, trying to, I listened to multiple people with diverse disabilities. And that's when I realized you can't, you can't solve all, um, you know, people's challenges and problems with a few, few ideas. So I narrowed it down to working with uh, wheelchair users. Um, and of course, the first thing you notice is uh, for wheelchair users, um, primarily their positioning throughout their day, prolonged hours are in the seated position. And so when you look at fashion design, the first thing you do as a fashion designer is you're presented with a standing mannequin or a model that is standing and then I remember being in class and just saying um what about the seated body and how are all these garments going to work for seated bodies and of course when you measure the body from a seated position all measurements are completely disrupted due to that slight variation and one of the biggest um, measurement change is if you can imagine when you sit down the way your pelvis swings forward to get into the seated position you need so much more fabric around the buttocks which is why you have that breezy area (laughs) and your jeans fall down or builder's bum (laughs) (laughs) and um, such simplistic concepts Uh, um, basically defined how I was fabricating all my designs so some of them were adding more fabric around those areas another thing is sometimes when you sit down and your knees are bent you have that strain on your kneecap which isn't great for circulation so you know making more area around the kneecap and then of course taking away all the fabric from behind the kneecap that causes all that bulk and you know can cause you to sweat even and on that note on you know perspiration um changing fabrics so that they aren't prone to sweat like you know um synthetic fabrics changing them to breathable fabrics um so that if you are in contact with a chair for prolonged hours of the day uh, prolonged hours of the day um it's breathable and you haven't got like a, a you know sweaty back when you're transitioning into your your car or you know into bed or something like that and so s- some of the fit issues were what I focused on and I I created this manual showing all the measurement discrepancies between standing versus seated and for women in particular um there tends to be a lot more fat around your your buttocks and your hips and waist but where, where does that go in the garment? So just, you know, adding more stretch and um, just changing fabrics and just doing such, you know, subtle things that really do impact the wearer's, you know, dignity and and um, and comfort. Um, but then on a, um, on a, you know, I guess all of this is innovation, but then on a, a complete different level was how are people getting in and out of the garments and then changing entry points in and out. And so the lady I worked with who had multi-sclerosis, one thing that was a little tricky um, when dressing, um, she had a standing body when she was a broker on Wall Street um, and she had multi-sclerosis in her 20s. So she went from, you know, standing to using canes to using a manual wheelchair to now using a motorized wheelchair. And her wardrobe 
reflects that transition you see how all her clothes have been more cropped and because you know she doesn't need to wear long trench coats anymore she needs more cropped garments and so when dressing her into jackets the hardest thing about um, dressing someone else who maybe doesn't have the use of their arms is how are you getting the her arms into the armholes it's it's really Mm. uh difficult so as a designer, I'm thinking, just zip this goddamn sleeve off. So I just put these really cool zippers in the sleeve so I could pull her arms through and then zip the sleeves around her arm like a banana. And it looked like a completely, like almost sporty, functional um, garment. But of course, you can change zippers however you want. You can conceal them. But I remember it usually took us about, you know, three or four minutes to get a jacket on and it went to 30 seconds which is huge. And she just said, wow. And I remember that being the, like my biggest measure of success. <laughs> so, so, you know, those are some of the things that I did, but those are some of the things I'm really proud about. Um, so yeah, that's how the project began. And I, I graduated with that work. And, and, was, had- and was that hard? I have to ask, like, because <laughs> it's that we were chatting, obviously, before, uh, before we started recording, you were saying how the courses have somewhat shifted a little bit um, since the time you were the, kind of started this course. So how did you how did you pivot the direction of your work? I think the faculty at Parsons really trusted me. Um, I noticed that as long as you're a hard worker and you can prove your thesis, they were going to support you. But of course, that meant that I had my own challenges and barriers. Like I wasn't going to be working with the models that are assigned in the, the classroom because that doesn't make any sense <laughs> for what I'm designing. So um, what I, like for who I am designing for and who I'm designing with. And so I had to do, I guess, I wouldn't say more research than anyone else and, not, and definitely not more work, but I didn't have a lot of guidance because I was sort of paving my own way so uh, yeah a lot of my research meant you know um, sitting down and fo- uh, leading focus groups with United Cerebral Palsy in Manhattan and Brooklyn and I sent a Craigslist ad out for you know seeking collaborators and researchers who could join me on this mission for more accessible clothing and then i started working with a, a lady who had multi-sclerosis and um, my teachers, you know, empowered me and let me do my fittings at her home. And so it was a very different experience, but it, it involved me proving myself and gaining their trust. And, you know, thank God they trusted me and allowed me to do the work that I did. Mm. So had you, had you had any experience of running focus groups and Never. doing user research? No, I'm just chatty. So wow. <laughs> I just like talk to me. I love that. Um, yeah, so how, yeah, I don't know. It reminds me of there's this quote I heard the other day that I don't remember who said it, but they said, if I only ever did things I was qualified for, I'd still be brushing floors. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like you kind of embrace that. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, and also, I just credit to my parents. My mum's a physiotherapist and my dad's a civil engineer. And between the two of them, I think I've absorbed, well, definitely no patience from my father, but I got the patience from my mother and just the ability to have empathy and sit and listen and really listen I I wasn't going in with a set of questions but I was very present for our conversations I wasn't generalizing I was going in with a really open mindset that you know no assumptions just tell me about your 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 life and and it became a really collaborative open conversation and um and those people I'm still friends with now and they've become my mentors and they're the ones who are with me involved in the build of my business today straight from 
graduating school. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that. So yeah. the the project that you started in school yeah. is now the foundation of of this business that you are running. Yes, correct. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> It's true what they say, like when teachers are like, oh, your thesis could be, um, you know, could be the seed to your entire future. Everyone's like, nah, I just want to graduate and get out. But it, this whole work that I did at school has, yeah, become my future. And I'm really grateful for that. Um, so it's really interesting to see Parsons as well change direction since that um, that thesis got us so much success and press and also happened to be the 20th anniversary of Americans with Disabilities Act. So there was a lot of things that were perfect in terms of timing when I was graduating from school. Yeah, I feel the need to correct myself. You didn't depart from fashion. You broadened the definitions. Yeah, we, I re- I'd like to think that. That's great. I redefined it. <laughs> You mentioned um, kind of challenging the premise of what the deliverable was. Mm. What is that something you've always done? Like, yeah. I feel like that's a, to challenge what the what the brief is. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I w- I'm not an argumentative person. I I love to. Uh, really do the assignment and more my friends joke I'm an overachiever but yeah I've always questioned like why such narrow um, parameters and sometimes I love narrow parameters because I think that's when the true innovation begins Mm -hmm. but sometimes if I if I think it can go further I will definitely you know uh, provoke that a little bit Um, so yeah it's definitely something I've always done (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think going beyond and challenging not just, you know, what yourself in terms of what the ask can what you can deliver to the ask, but actually challenging the very ask itself. Yeah. Um yeah, that's a that's a bold move with it when your potential future is on the line of your what you how you graduate for that program. So, right, um, definitely. You know, credit to you for, for doing yeah, it. Yeah, but also the way I was looking at it was if you can make mistakes, you make them when you're at university. And mm. uh that's the best time to do it and to be creative and to challenge. So I thought Yes, now or never, really. Now's my chance. Yeah. It's always best to mess up on the rehearsal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. And I think Sometimes if you, it pays off. Yeah. And I think that's a habit. I think if you don't, if you don't start that idea of failing fast early in your mm-hmm. life, like it, it, very quickly you, you, you become fearful of that. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's much harder to go back the other way. Yeah. Oh, I fail a million times all the time. Or I'm learning fast, as you say. I find, I find that hard to believe as I was, I'm looking down at my notes here and I have, you know, your bio in front of me. Um, but so, so let, let us talk about that for a minute. What are, what are some of those? Are there any, kind of, is there a failure that comes to mind that you've gone through that's kind of sticks in your mind as something you've really mm. kind of learned from? Yeah. I, so there is something that I find a kind of almost painful to talk about. I don't think it's a failure, but... It wasn't a failure in work, but a failure of myself um, was when I let my health become, um, get to the point where it was a problem that wasn't allowing me to do my work in the best way possible. And it was, I became this obscene workaholic. I let my health get too bad and I had a kid, I had kidney problems and I couldn't sleep at night. I had like insomnia and it was because I was tr- taking on so much work because I wanted to be the best that I could in this very competitive landscape that is fashion design. And I knew that the only way I could do it was by staying up 
long hours and taking on everything until I like basically ruined my body and by doing that and letting myself get to that point I had to drop out of Parsons and um, I got sent home back to Wales back to Wales on a medical leave of absence and that was the hardest thing I've ever been through I like became like a hermit crab I I went when you when you were on that journey you were heading back to Wales on the plane from JFK did you know then that it was only temporary or or did you think that maybe this was it? Um, at the time, I was doing a Louis Vuitton project that I was like selected for. So I thought I'd ruined everything. I thought this was my one chance <laughs> to to be successful in the fashion industry and for people to know who I was. And I had to drop out of it and come home. And it killed me. And I remember I had a, a really... Because in America, um, you have... A, you know, advisors who look after you. And I remember calling up my parents being like, she's not well, your daughter is really not well. Like she's not the same. And like her eyes are darting around. I remember I was like, like losing weight. I was like a, a really, really small at that time as well. And then um, my parents just, I remember I was on the phone to my mum, and she was just like, Lucy is this true and I've been lying to her the whole time saying I'm fine I'm fine and I remember just breaking down being like mom it's true I have to come home I'm not well and so Mm -hmm. they were like get on a plane and I came back and it was just really hard so I got home didn't tell my friends I was home because I was ashamed to tell them that I'd been like (laughs) not kicked out just like begged to leave it was all my decision but they strongly advised I get home for some help and so um I did I got home and my family like nursed me back to health and then I went and studied at Parsons Paris which was a lot closer to home so I lived in Paris for a while (laughs) so it ended up being a blessing because I got to live in Paris yeah so that was I think that time I vowed that I wouldn't let I wouldn't let health really destroy me again. Like clothes and fashion design is definitely not worth (laughs) risking your health over, especially at the age of 20. So, yeah. How how long was your stay in Paris for? Uh, Six months. Oh, nice. And where were you you living? Central. I lived off like, uh, it was the first hour of Dissimont. So it was right by uh, Palais Royale and the Louvre and oh I was so happy in Paris <laughs> yeah and then I went back to New York so I think those stories are really important to share mm. just because I think from the outside in people can look at you know someone who has achieved the excess that you have or anyone has and think mm. oh well yeah but they've they've had it easy or it's all gone really well and you realize no actually there's some very dark times oh yeah it's, it's actually even because more, but, yeah even more but it's even yeah. Because it's sometimes it's because of those dark times mm. that um, you can bounce back and have the the success that you, you can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if we're on we're on that thread of kind of, I guess, on, of success. And um, before we started recording, one of the things Gideon had mentioned to me was a couple of the contracts that you'd been offered mm. um, through, you know, as you as you'd kind of built this reputation. Mm. Um, some of which you actually turned down yeah and I'm interested to know like how did you how did you make those decisions like what filter were you using to say right that's something I should follow that's something I shouldn't when you had these all these exciting things kind of come to come to you yeah oh wow um there were three uh, there were three major contracts that I can think about that pop into my head and I won't mention names but um the first one was straight from graduation and um one involved a relocation so that was a really obvious um uh, obvious uh decision for me because my boyfriend who's also from wales (laughs) 
you know, I'd convinced him to come to New York and... Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't very well leave him. <laughs> <laughs> I asked him to move across the pond and then I was about to be like, bye, <laughs> see ya. Uh, so I couldn't, I couldn't take, that one to, take that one for obvious reasons. And that, I think that's a really hard decision as well, especially so early on in your career is to choose, I guess, love over mm. something that could... Uh, you know, define your career. But I think if there's anything you know that's constant in life is go with love and family first. And I think all my decisions are because of that. Mm. So um, that ended up working in my favor because I got a great job offer straight after that. So um, although there was a time where I didn't know what I was going to be doing. uh, So, you know, that was an easy decision. Some of the other contracts, though, were really hard to evaluate because I'm so young. Uh, oh, I was so young. I'm still young now, but I was really young at the time, just fresh out of school. And some of them involved, you know, ridiculous salaries that I couldn't even imagine straight from graduating. And I just turned them down. And I remember because something didn't feel right or the mission was a little bit, you know, I was worried that I wouldn't have more control over the way things would roll out and that would go against my values. And Mm. so I always make decisions based on if they fit in with who I am and my values and if I just feel good about myself at the end of the day. And so that's just how I make decisions still, um, just purely on gut and intuition. I think you really have to be in touch with yourself and Mm. uh, your your trajectory to be able to make those decisions. Because as a freelancer living in uh, an expensive city like New York or, or London, it's very tempting to just mm-hmm. take the job that's offered to you yeah, because I, you need it. Agreed. I was told I was nuts for turning it down by many people because I remember having $6 in my bank account more times than I can count. Mm. And and my boyfriend too. Like it's not, it's not easy living in an expensive mm. place. And I think, you know, just folks at home have this idea of... Uh, what it's like to live in New York and they think it's so glamorous because as a tourist it's amazing but living here it's really hard sometimes. I can literally remember standing in the bodega getting my phone out and transferring $18.50 from my savings to my checking so that I could buy dinner. Yeah oh I've done that so many times and um and and sometimes um, I feel bad for my parents, but I'm going to say it because they, they didn't know. I didn't want them to know how hard sometimes it was getting. But I would not eat because I was paying for materials for fabric to do my work <laughs> so that I could carry on like pursuing my dream. And like, thank God things have changed. But I've definitely known what it's like to live right on the edge. <laughs> and so does my boyfriend. But now, thank God, we're uh, we're a lot more comfortable. <laughs> we're both still very thin. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we ration, but you know, nah. <laughs> we're just active. <laughs> Interesting. When it came to those decisions, was it were they were they gradual decisions that you came around to? Did you seek advice of others? Did you go to a certain place and just have a moment of clarity? Like how mm. how did you how do I make some of those decisions? Yeah, this goes back to having amazing supporters at Parsons. There is one woman, her name is Kay Unger, and she has been my hashtag fairy godmother. <laughs> um, I started that thing. Um, <laughs> she's been someone who's helped me with a lot of decisions and she's the chair of the board of Parsons. And um, she's seen me present and she took me under her wing and um some of these decisions I've I've definitely sat and just talked and talked and she would help me like just be a sounding board and Mm. I'm so grateful for that 
Um, and definitely my parents, they're involved in sort of any decision I make um, on FaceTime. Um, um, yeah thank god for facetime and so yeah i do i i have a lot of people who help me make decisions but they always just say one they just ask questions really just what feels good to you what feels right to you and do you feel good sleeping at night about that decision and you know just help me yeah get to get to that decision this might be a naive question but do these exist like are there garments designed at all for people in wheelchairs today or we are you literally being the will this be the first kind of range of of clothing or or are you actually just taking just making it better i think the biggest problem was um there was like nothing um and there was the term adaptive clothing so if you googled adaptive clothing and this was you know five years ago now or four years ago now when i did my degree or did my thesis and this work um it was just like polar fleece and velcro and I was just like come on like really (laughs) we've got zippers as well but like velcro Mm. um and and usually they were positioned for you know um the older market and that's just not true like you could Mm. be anyone any age you could have a disability you could be a wheelchair user um no matter you know what age ethnicity sex you could have a disability and so I remember thinking that that was such a stereotype and so wrong and so um yeah there there are clothes there were clothes available there was also this incredible line by a woman called Izzy Camilleri from Canada and I think she did some of the best work in this space but for some reason um it just wasn't as talked about and I don't know why Mm. um but she was the only other one that I knew of at the time and then before I knew it I don't know what happened but when I graduated it became like this bubble of people who are finding each other and mostly in New York who were mm. talking about the same thing and the same people are at the same events we're all like you again <laughs> we all see each other and of course those people uh, were the ones invited we were all invited to go to the White House mm. um, so yeah we can talk a bit about that <laughs> what year was this 2016 thank goodness <laughs> <laughs> yep <laughs> different administration <laughs> okay so how was that what just one day yeah it was one day it was such an honor um I've never seen so much security in my life and actually one thing that is quite funny <laughs> is secret service um they wear the title on their clothes that say secret service and I, away, I was like this is not secret (laughs) I remember thinking that was so funny and the staff were amazing but like you had to go through about five different points of security and um, these different annexes to get into the White House and then once you're in you're like thank god that's over Um, but yeah so basically I got an email an email from the White House. Was it literally the White House? It was literally the White House. And I thought it was a joke, so I spammed it. I flagged it up as a spam, put it into my junk box. And then someone called me and said, have you got this White House invitation? And I was like, oh, that's real. Oh my God, digging it back out. So I remember, yeah, we got to go to the White House and it was called a design for all. Uh, conference and it was fascinating because a lot of the people in the room everyone knew each other already because there's only a few of us so there was about 60 people in the room and most of us knew each other and it was a celebration for those who are making strides in designing for all and you know inclusion and um so there was a lot of people designing collections for small people you know wearable technology prosthetics innovation just anyone who is really being innovative in the space and so 
I mean, of course, I'd, the only thing I'd really been known for at that point was this collection that I graduated with or this modular design approach from my thesis. So it was just, you know, true honour to be there. That's fantastic. Did you get to meet uh, Barack or Michelle? No. I'm oh, so sad, I'm but sorry. I got a great picture uh, a picture of a picture <laughs> with me photobombing a picture of Obama <laughs> um, with a Snapchat filter on us both. So I thought that was really funny. Excellent. The next best thing. The next best. Nothing like it. That's not the only accolade you've had. I know that you've had exhibitions in the Museum of Art and Design, uh, the museum at FIT, mm-hmm. and was it a commission you had yeah. for the MoMA? Yeah. And the moment is the Museum of Modern Art, for those back home who, who aren't familiar. Yeah. Um, they were all commissioned. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was, again, the, the work. Um, so having the email, the way it worked was it went from Mad Museum first. And the curator of the Museum of Art and Design, which is on Columbus Circle here in Manhattan, um, that was a site-specific work and it was called Fashion After Fashion. So it was the little F for fashion after the big F for the glamorous fashion as people think it is. And um, there were six designers selected. All, all of us were international. And Hazel Clark um, was the curator with um, Elari Laminen. And Hazel, of course, uh, is a faculty member of the Masters um, Fashion Society of Parsons. So she knew of my work because she'd seen me present before. Um, and so she invited me to create an installation, um, for, for this exhibit and, oh, that was just incredible. And they gave me so much, um, you know, freedom to design, you know, what I wanted to design, but me and Hazel, I think we were just so aligned. We just knew what I was going to do. And we based it off of my thesis work at Parsons School of Design. And it was basically these floating sleeves, which just show how seated sleeves, uh, they were seated shirt sleeves, actually. And there was 22 of them floating in this, uh, like a floating constellation in this shelving unit. Um, And it was just, you know, 22 different ways of doing a shirt sleeve for someone who is seated and that was it with a video of me working on these sleeves with the the woman who I worked with throughout my time at Parsons uh, the the woman who had multi-sclerosis and so um, that was presented and at the same time while I was starting the work for that I had an email from the senior curator for Museum of Martin Design Paola Antonelli and that was a true honor because uh, I mean both uh, everything I've done but that one was exciting because of course this was the second um fashion ex- exhibition ever that MoMA had ever done and in 73 years and so this was going to be big and they they asked me you know could I choose something they they out they basically created this uh, inventory this alphabet of items that they think are crucial to fashion design or you know familiar in fashion design like the hoodie and the t-shirt and the suit and they asked me to choose something that I that I thought needed you know reinventing but we talked about it a lot and the one thing I kept going back to the most difficult thing was a pair of tights (laughs) and and I just thought And when I said, I really think this is interesting, the pantyhose, the pair of tights, just because um, the pair of tights themselves were designed out of a need because they used to be stockings Mm. um, and a garter belt. Um, But the pair of tights came from um, 
I think it was uh, the, the creator's pregnant wife who couldn't bend to put the, you know, everything on and off all the time. And it was like really restrictive. And so it was interesting that the pair of tights got a redesign for another need. Um, but, you know, how a wheelchair is wearing, t- how wheelchair users wearing tights. And so that was, that was a really speculative design. Um, it just got acquired into their permanent collection. So if I die. <laughs> right. um, and, this, and what does that mean? That means it all... It'll it's, continue to be there permanently yeah, at MoMA? they own it forever. Wow. Um, and the, and the piece huge. is called, it's, it's the seated pantyhose. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, incredible to have it be put into the permanent collection. That's, a, that's, a, that's fantastic. Um, I'm curious to know, like, it, it's an interesting, right, to have your, obviously, your work now featured in, I'm sure you, you'd never have imagined having your some work, you know, at, not just featured at uh, somewhere like MoMA, but for the be there permanently mm. um for where you know historically it's a you know place for artists work right for for, for modern art uh, is that an odd <laughs> thing to think about for, as a mm. as a designer mm. to be suddenly in that world because i imagine it's 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 mm. similar but there must be some differences yeah well it is and it isn't because um for as long as i can remember it was a life goal to have my work in a museum one day and I remember everyone saying to me, you need some new life goals. Then <laughs> I was like, I do. I thought I will have made it in life if I had put something in a museum. It was a, a, something I told myself since I was 11. Wow. And um, 11, why, why do you say at 11, 11 so confidently? Is there a particular moment you can remember coming up with that or just? I was 11 years old. I'd just gone to secondary school, uh, realized I really liked art and design. Didn't know I liked fashion at that point. But I just remember being... I just remember always really enjoying museums. My parents used to take me to a lot of museums when I was younger. And I just always felt, I think what I love most about museums is um, they're a snapshot of how humans have lived. And I find that incredible to be contributing to something that could change the way uh, humans behave. I speak about humans like I'm not from this planet. Like, <laughs> humans. <He's> humans. <laughs> I realize how that sounds now. Um, well, we, we thank you. <laughs> On behalf of the human race. Human race. Human race. <laughs> For joining Earth. No, sometimes I like to think like that. But um, I do. I've always found that fascinating. And um, so, no, it wasn't, it wasn't um, you know, far away from my, I guess, my thought process of where I wanted to be. But... You're right. I remember my boyfriend is an artist and I remember him just being like, you know, it's also his dream to be in the Museum of Modern Art mm. and me being like, oh, look, I'm a fashion designer and I'm in the Museum of Modern Art. So sometimes it was a bit strange. Yeah. Mm. Um, but some of my idols like Alexander McQueen and Issey Miyake, I have seen their fashion designers and I've seen their work celebrated in museums. And um, and so though I guess there was that, too. I just felt that I'd done something special. I'm curious to know how does it feel to be recognized as uh, one of Forbes 30 for 30 under 30 and mm. for those who don't know uh, Forbes 30 under 30 is an annual list of the brightest young entrepreneurs and innovators of that year um, which is a select group um, so I'm curious yeah, how did that feel and, and how did that even come about like mm. is it does someone nominate you do they just reach out to you and go hey um, would you like to be considered or, or do they just just make it and, and and then you find out afterwards that's a really good question and I don't actually know how it happened did you get another spam email 
<laughs> honestly I don't believe a lot of things that come my way because I'm like oh my luck's gonna run out I've done it now like tomorrow my luck's gonna run out but because I just keep thinking it's all luck 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 that keeps happening um and I don't that's why I don't think I change as a my personality doesn't change often because I I feel very very lucky at this point um but the Forbes thing I just had a phone call and I don't know you do have to be nominated um but I don't know who nominated me. Mm. Um, actually, I think it could have been Parsons School of Design. I'll have to check on fairy that. godmother or my fairy godmother. Um, but um, I remember the researcher, you know, interviewed me. I remember her asking me how I made decisions, and I remember her telling everything is based on empathy. Mm. And I remember her saying that that was brilliant. And I remember thinking, that is brilliant. <laughs> like it wow. should, that's the way I, I think all humans should be. Humans again. <laughs> <laughs> People, <laughs> God damn it. Um, so yeah, so um, I remember having that interview, forgetting about it, not honestly not thinking too much about it. Remember hearing that some of the judges were Sarah Jessica Parker and a few other idols of mine. And then I got an email and it was the night before I was about to leave my family. I was in Cardiff and we were sitting in Cardiff Bay and we were having food. And I remember getting these text messages congratulating me. Um, And it was the night before I was due to come back to New York, which is always really hard to leave the family. And I remember being listed and not even knowing or like what the heck that meant. Um, But I realized it does mean a lot now. Um, so yeah and, and how old were you when you when you won it um or were you so it was i was 23 oh. 20 24 24 oh. so you did it with over half a decade to spare yeah no least <laughs> wow yeah it wasn't bad well congratulations have you got any or are there any in people who inspire you or have inspired you um through your kind of life to date mm. So I have, I really admire a lot of people. Um, and I mentioned Alexander McQueen at Isimiyaki. And I think I've more or less admired the fact that they were, you know, designers in museums, um, which is probably why I wanted to also be in a museum one day. I felt it was really special. Um, but to be honest, and this sounds super pompous, but I'm not, all, I'm not often uh, inspired by many, you know, artists or you know, singers, songwriters, poets, uh, movements, I'm so engrossed in my own process and my own way of thinking that um, I think that dictates everything that I do. Um, It's not to, you know, say that I'm not, I don't look at things and think, God, that's stunning. That's beautiful. How did that person do it? But I'm just so engrossed in my work Mm. and, and my process and, you know, the way we work with my team. Um, it's just so organic and it just grows and the way I like to think of it is I start everything as if I've refreshed my brain like a blank canvas um and I think like a child and I just play and I just love curiosity and discovering and some of my friends hate it because I get excited by the smallest things sometimes I can come home and just uh, and my old roommates I was talking to her this morning and she's like part of living with you was just you being excited by nothing (laughs) (laughs) and I am I'm just my eyes are always open um and you know I'll I'm very imaginative and so I I love that part about my work and and I like others around me to also be like that um 
And so, yeah, I'm not, I'm mostly inspired by that and just being curious and hearing people's stories. I'm really, okay, I'm inspired by people's stories. That's what I'm inspired by. Well, that's good for, good for us then, because, uh, you know, in terms of what we're trying to do here, uh, uh, that's definitely the, the goal. And um, I have no doubt that people back home uh, will be inspired by, inspired by your story. Uh, but before we wrap up, um, maybe you can tell, you know, our listeners back home a little bit about kind of what you're working on now, what, what, what's to come mm-hmm. uh, and what people maybe should uh, look out for in the coming months and year or so. Yeah, so I've got a few really interesting things going on. As always, there's always yeah. so many uh, little things going on. Um, but yeah, uh, my my work from, you know, university really, or school as I've been calling it, because that's what you call it here in the mm-hmm. US, school, um, has really been, uh, you know, the stepping stone into my entire career. And so with the work in working with people who use wheelchairs and people with disabilities, it has stemmed up into creating a whole business around that. And so right now um, I'm working on products and accessories primarily for mobility device users, um, which means anyone who uses a wheelchair, manual wheelchair, walker, crutches or a cane, um, and really offering uh, tools and um, ways for people to be more independent on the go mm-hmm. as opposed to you know clothing which once it's on it's on but more how are you accessing your personal belongings when you're traveling and mobile um and so uh yeah i i started the business um i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> you never do never know but just enjoy it and um i was really lucky enough to join an accelerator program and they gave me um investment money um, the accelerator program was called XRC Labs, and it was, funnily enough, sponsored by Parsons School of Design. <laughs> and yeah, which is and it's just awesome because it really is um, like everyone knows each other and everyone helps each other. So that's really lovely. Um, but yeah, I had uh, an investment money, which was phenomenal to. Um, you know, go from being on $12 and not knowing how I was going to eat that week to, wow, I'm going to be running my own business and how lucky I feel yeah. and how does 25. that work? Yeah, that's <laughs> and how does, how does that work? Do they give you like a grant for a set mm. um, runway? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or, yeah. It, it, yeah, it works like that. It's more, um, you know, they, I guess, investors will value your company and your market and your, your product market fit. Mm-hmm. Um and if it's a good enough idea and if they believe in you and actually a lot of people really make decisions of if they believe in you which is you know really empowering actually like I like you I think you do a good job I think you're real and authentic and I want to support you and I thought that was interesting because in my head when I think of Wall Street or I think of like you know people who have large sums of money there's a lot of uh like you know, what's my profit and how much am I going to make? But I've been really lucky that the people who are supporting me really, you know, support me and, and uh, I guess my creativity and, and yeah, I'm just so lucky. So that's how that started. Um, I was really lucky that I was able to get a team together and that's also interesting to be running a team. Um, yeah. How did yeah. you find that kind of recruiting? And oh, wow. People? I imagine, you know, they're all mm. uh, older than ages. Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a better word. Yeah, I just also think we're in a different time. And, you know, you see some of these really young kids who are coding and like the people who designed Snapchat, who became like billionaires by doing, you know, an app. Um, I think we're in a really different, you know, state right now where 
to me age is just irrelevant and I just feel that maybe we're just in a different and what the eight the mm. you know people are living longer and so I just think that there's a lot more respect and sometimes I'm embarrassed by my age and I and you know I, I I'm in it I don't I don't have a lot of experience I definitely don't have a lot of wisdom although people do say I'm wise beyond my years but I do I'm very aware of that so my thing is you know, as long as I can make this a really fun work environment and we all have like a shared level of respect and I want to learn from you and I, I want you to learn from me or like my process. Um, I think it's been, it's just found its way. It's been really organic and yeah, recruiting has been interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, it's difficult. I mean, as someone myself, I, you know, manage people who, you know, more senior than me, I've always been in a position where you almost feel like you have to overcompensate or justify yeah. for kind of your age yeah or mask how old you are actually right. something I used to kind of do or- yeah I I some people just found out how old I am the other day and they were terrified by it mm. um and I and I I keep saying but like even if I was you know 50 or 60 running a business is all about learning as you go mm. so it doesn't actually matter mm. um the one thing I found interesting was when I put an ad out on LinkedIn for I was hiring and recruiting, I had a ridiculous amount of people apply for the job mm. and I and I was shocked by it. Um that says a lot, I think, mm. about the the time that the times that we're in. Mm. But yeah, and, and also just the our job flow right now and, and what's going on with retail and the you know, the economic climate. But it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Does we haven't really talked much about we've talked a lot about Parsons and obviously mm. your time here in New York. What do you think about New York is I'll say unique but maybe different that yeah. uh makes this such a great place not only for maybe to meet people of those different ages or to collab you know, you talked about your community earlier, bumping into people at the same kind of events. Like what is it that makes you New York different that makes this such a great place to build something like mm. like you're building? Yeah, wow. That's an. I have such a love hate relationship with New York. Um, I think it's because when you have lived in New York and you meet other people who have lived in New York, you all share an experience, um, and the days just don't end. <laughs> in New York, it's true. It is the city that doesn't sleep. I love that I had really, really long not work days, just long days. The days just feel like. You, you know so exciting mm. there is that buzz that people speak of <laughs> that's true there's definitely yeah. a buzz here it's caffeine <laughs> it's all the caffeine that we're having and all the running around but um i think it is because there is so much opportunity i know for a fact and i get asked this question a lot could you do this in in the uk or could you do this anywhere else no i absolutely could not i have taken so many risks by being in New York and I continue to take them and it's because I feel that no matter if I get knocked down I'll always be able to build my way back up in New York I just think that way mm. um and you know everyone can find their own uh, way of life in New York so even though it's like survival of the fittest sometimes but um yeah there's something very inspiring about it and sometimes I just hate it and I can't wait to go home and I'm like missing the trees in Wales and the fluffy clouds like there is no fluffy clouds here I don't know if you've noticed that but I miss fluffy clouds and I miss like trees um, and Central Park is not that <laughs> so um so sometimes I'm really craving that but when I'm back in Wales and I'm just soaking it in in the fresh air and I'm just like oh wow this is home especially when you go over the Seven Bridge. <laughs> like this is home um 
within a week I'm craving New York <laughs> I'm just like all right I'm done now like I need that pace back and that adrenaline um what advice would you give to any listeners who uh are thinking of maybe applying to Parsons or mm. one of the other amazing schools here or just coming to New York to to further their career yeah as you asked that question I thought about the very first moment that I arrived in New York and how excited I was I think you just have to be brave and you just got to do it it'll get you down there are times that it's gonna really knock you down um but I think um you know staying close to your family and staying grounded is really important but there are other um in terms of actually financing your way to America there are amazing programs and Fulbright scholarships is one of them but um, my boyfriend Tom was able to get this scholarship um, and it's available for any graduate and it's called the Elizabeth Tuckerman scholarship we knew that we couldn't afford um, you know doing our I mean tuition in America for education is just kind of insane Um, and so we scoured the internet looking for uh any scholarship just anything even incremental scholarships that would add up to the large sum and um, there is a scholarship that's only available for Welsh people looking to study in the United States (laughs) it couldn't be like a more narrow scholarship if you tried and so you know they they provide they they pay for a substantial sum of your tuition and virtually no one knows about it so Uh, what was the name again Elizabeth Tuckerman scholarship that's on me (laughs) (laughs) brilliant well Lucy I know how busy you are um, (laughs) so I'm certainly we're very grateful for you clearing this time in your schedule to have this conversation I've thoroughly enjoyed it I'm sure many many people back home will have enjoyed it too um I guess before we wrap up any if people do want to find you online what's the best place for them to kind of contact you yeah, I'm most active on Instagram. Uh, if you don't have it, download it. Um, and if you don't know what it is, you just post pictures of your life. <laughs> but uh, it's a, um, it's a, at Lucy Jones Design. Um, and that's where you'll find me doing my day to day. And will people be able to see examples of your work there? People who've been trying to visualize it but want to see it? Yes. And actually, there's a website and it's www.lucyjonesdesign.com so you can actually read up about and see images of the MoMA work and the Museum of Art and Design work as well as my uh, the work that we discussed. And when your and when your brand launches, uh, which is November, yeah, and it's called Fora. Yes, which we haven't actually actually I realise haven't even mentioned uh, has quite a unique spelling. Um, it's F F O R A. Yeah, so the double F is a Welsh nod. Um, no one I mean everyone here keeps telling me the double f is confusing and I'm like get used to it (laughs) because the double f was only because I keep saying it's in our alphabet in Wales and the double f makes an f sound so um, it's just a nod to the roots even though it doesn't mean anything well the word fora actually stands for the word forum it's a latin word of the word forum which you know I think is a really great word for just being open and being together and just an open platform Um, and yeah the double f is to make it look Welsh. <laughs> well, you're doing a great job of, of flying the flag. And, uh, so yeah, lucyjones.com and then from November we'll we'll keep an eye out for Fora. I'm sure we're, we'll be hearing plenty of that and you uh, for years to come. Thanks, Lucy. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
Well, we hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did, then please subscribe and leave us a review, as long as it's positive. The more people review the show, the more people will get to hear the show. Yeah, and if you'd like to get in touch with us, then please do. The email is podcast at newyorkwelsh.com or you can contact us through any of the socials. Both our Instagram and Twitter are at newyorkwelsh. And if you'd like to stay up to date with the latest goings-on, you can do so by subscribing to the monthly newsletter on our website, newyorkwelsh.com.